Good morning, y'all. My name's Ed Griffin Hagen. In case you can't recognize me because my Goldilocks were taken off on Friday, um, I'm Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors here at my church. And uh, before we get started today, I want to just shoot through something that's going on in our church family. Um, uh, Elliot, who is our production uh, director, his wife Bethany uh, and their family are going through a, a, a time of, 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 a, of a health issue going on. If you flip that picture up there. So Bethany has got a uh, plasma cytoma, which is a tumor on her optic nerve. <clears throat> Super crazy rare. Um, 90% of them, they're very rare, but 90% of them respond to radiation. And of course, Bethany's does not respond to radiation. So they've been going through this for a year, year and a half. And uh, have been out to MD Anderson, and they're they're landing on uh, week Monday week. Uh, Bethany will have a stem cell transplant. Well, uh, late this coming week, um, she will have a, a super crazy high dose of chemotherapy to wreck her immune system, so that the next day or two days later, that she uh, will have a stem cell transplant and kind of get a new immune system. This shirt says. He can heal cancer, which he can. He can heal cancer. Um, and here's what I know. I'm a cancer survivor. You just heard Jed talk about his wife uh, had ovarian cancer in the middle of being 11 weeks pregnant. That's like one of the craziest things I've ever heard. <clears throat> I know that, that, uh, that everybody in this room, probably either you or somebody in your immediate family, has been affected by cancer. It's just there. But here's what I also know. I know God's bigger than all that crap. And I know you're probably not supposed to say that from the stage, so forgive me for saying that the way I just said it. But I know that he is. I know that he is. <clears throat> and so here, one of the things that we want to do, we want to love on uh, Bethany and Elliot and their family. Saturday, next Saturday, when they wreck her immune system, uh, I want our church body to be praying from 8 o'clock Saturday morning until 4 o'clock Saturday night because sometime in the middle of all that is when they're going to be doing it. And so out here at the connection desk, there's a sign-up sheet. Every 30-minute 30 30 increments throughout the day, if we had five people praying every 30 minutes, it would be awesome. And I don't mean come up here and pray. I mean pray wherever you are, at home, driving down the road, at work, wherever you are. We want to bathe uh, Bethany and her family and the doctors in prayer, as we should do, want to do, and will do, with everybody in our church family. So if y'all will, before we get started, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into this message. Lord, <clears throat> we love you today. We thank you for being uh, who you say you are. We thank you, Lord, for being able to do every single thing that you say you can do, you can do. Lord, we thank you for the people that call our church home. Lord, I thank you for the ministry of, 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 uh, of Elliot and Bethany. Lord, I thank you for their friendship. Um, Lord, we lift her up and their family up to you. Uh, we, we ask your blessings on them. We ask your blessings on the doctors that will be treating them. Lord, I ask that you would touch every single family in, <clears throat> in our midst that is going through a health issue, cancer, sickness, whatever it may be, that we would always, always, always look to you as our healer, that we would always uh, 
keep our minds and keep our eyes and keep our hearts focused on you. Lord, I ask you to be here this morning with us. I know there are people uh, here even today that need to hear your word, that need to hear your encouragement. Lord, my prayer is that you would get me out of the way and speak to our church body the words that you would, uh, that you would speak. And so, Lord, we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, look, we are in the last week of a, ma- a series we called Made for Mission. We've been doing this for five or six weeks, and, and we've kind of walked through that all of us, every Christ follower on the planet, all of us are called. We've talked about um, who the mission is, and we've talked about what the mission is, and we've talked about, last week we talked about the why. Why are we a people on a mission? And so uh, I believe in the last five or six weeks that we have learned a lot, that we've grown a lot, um, that our, 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 our walk with the Lord has just been a little tighter. I want to ask you all something. How many of you know your grandparents' first names? All right, keep your hands up and do not lie. The first service a bunch of liars. So do not lie. How many of you keep your hands up if you know your great-grandparents' first names? How about your great-great-grandparents' first names? So there's not many left, not many left. And here's, here's what I would tell you all. I've got some unfortunate news, I guess. And that is that the chances are pretty good that, just a, that, that all of us in this room are a few decades away from being completely forgotten. So I'm just trying to encourage you all. <laughs> but for real, the good news is this. The good news really is this that God's calling on your life is always, 100% of the time, it's always bigger than your lifetime. Our calling on our life, it's, it's always bigger than our lifetime. And while just about, there was only four or five people that left their hands up when we got three generations back, most of us can't go back uh, that far in our family trees, but that's not the case with our, with our spiritual family. Based on the way that the Bible reads, I have a suspicion that in heaven we'll be able to sort of study our family trees forwards and backwards. Since God is outside of time, God transcends time, God is beyond time, God's not bound by time, I wonder if we are, when we are with Him, if, if we'll be able to see how, how ultimately the chess pieces moved around the table for us to come to know Christ. And, and I think that maybe we'll be able to follow up and see how the ripples of our lifetime affect those spiritually in the future. How does that sort of play out? And so it would be, it would be like Ancestor.com on some kind of Jesus-centric steroids or, or something. So look, I want to tell you a quick story of two men, two men that were born right about the same time. They were born in right about the same place up in the northeast um, in, the, in the early 1700s, so 300 or so years ago. And I want to preface this story by saying these two men, their, their, their lineages kind of go in divergent sort of ways. Um, and I want you to know that there are no guarantees. Neither one of these things are guarantees. It's an odds thing, and I want to show you how this sort of plays out. One of the guys' names Jonathan Edwards. Some of you may have heard of Jonathan Edwards, maybe you hadn't. The other one's name is Max Jukes. I don't imagine any of you have ever heard of 
Max Jukes, J-U-K-E-S. Jonathan Edwards was raised in a home where he was where he was brought along in Christian service. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan theologian. He was a writer. He was a philosopher. He was a pastor. He probably contributed more to the kingdom of God in North America than any other human ever. Max Jukes, probably not so much. Somebody at some point along the line shared Christ with Jonathan Edwards. We don't know who that was. Probably it was one of his parents, but we don't know that for sure. But somebody invited Jonathan Edwards to come along. He says that he knew that he was saved when he was in college, late in college. He went to Yale University, and he started at Yale when he was 13 years old. We don't know for sure whether whether Max Jukes was ever invited to church wherever where whether or not he was ever invited to walk alongside of somebody on a mission trip or we don't know that. But what we know about Max Jukes was apparently he never came to know Christ. So again, before I tell you how this played out over the next 150 years, a fellow named B.B. Warfield, who is a a pastor, writer, guy uh, at the turn of the century, he studied these two men's past. And this is where this came from, from something B.B. Warfield wrote. So before we talk about the, how that, that, that 150 years played out, again, I want you to know there's no, there is no guarantees. There is no guarantees on either side of this coin, but here we go. Both men had 12 or 1,300 descendants over the next 150 years. Fast forward through those years, and let's take a look at how, what effect did Jesus have on Edward's descendants, and then we'll look at what effect did they had, what effect G, uh, Jesus had or, or didn't have on Jukes' lineage. Edward's descendants included a U.S. vice president, three senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 62 physicians, 75 army officers, 76 navy officers, and 100 pastors, 100 uh, missionaries, and about 100 uh, theology professors, practically no lawbreakers in Jonathan Edwards' like family line. On the other hand, Jukes' descendants, there were seven convicted murderers, 60 convicted thieves, 128 prostitutes, 50 of them averaging 15 years in that business, 140 other convicts, 280 indigents, and 440 uh, folks who were physically wrecked by uh, alcoholism, out of his 1,200 or so descendants, uh, 300 of them died prematurely. 67 died of syphilis. So listen, again, I'm not saying that if your family this, then this. I'm not saying that. It's not a guarantee. Again, it's an odds thing. Can somebody come to know Christ without somebody sharing the gospel with them? I would say probably they can. Can you come to know the Lord without someone inviting you to come along and and share in the gospel with you and simply through what we'll call general revelation, basically, which is nature? Could that happen? Of course that could happen, but the odds go down. But here's the, the, the text says that the heavens declare the glory of God. God's fingerprint is all over everything. So, of course, the answer to that is yes, but the odds go down. Someone is invited to come along. 
to, to church, to a small group, to an outreach, to whatever it may be. And somewhere along the lines, that person that was invited decides on their own to investigate the truth claims of Christ. And bingo, Jesus changes everything. Any way that you cut the mustard, Jesus changes everything. And so today, we're going to look at the life of the Apostle, a scene in the life of the Apostle Peter. We, looked at, we talked about Peter last week. Peter was the guy last week we said fell asleep in the garden. Peter's the guy that denied Jesus three times. Peter's the guy that flipped out in the garden and cut the guard's ear off. Peter is the guy that he is the open mouth, stick foot in sort of guy. He was always, always getting himself in hot water for speaking before thinking. And so if you have ever done that before, you'll be able to relate to Peter. If you make bonehead mistakes and put me in the front of that line, I can so relate to Peter. If you ever speak, if the sound comes out of your mouth before it's processed by your brain, Peter is your guy. So, and I've told you all bits and pieces of this story that I'm fixing to tell you. I've told you bits and pieces of it. And so today I want to, I at least right now, I want to tell you part one, and I want you to take this part one, because I'm not telling you the whole story. Take part one and fold it up a little bit and put it on the chair next to you and hold on to it for about 10 or 15 minutes, and I'm going to come back with part two. So part one started in 2015, three, a little more than three years ago, April or May of 2015. And I got home from work, and I was dog-tired when I got home from work. I'd worked for 13 hours. My brain was on mush. And Susan, my wife, came, comes out in, in the great room when I got home, and she was like, she was totally excited, like totally excited. And she said, I've been telling you about this for weeks. Tonight's the night. Tonight's the night that we're going to go out with a group downtown Columbus and we're going to serve the homeless community, and we're going to love on the homeless community. And we've been talking about this. I've been telling you about this for, for two weeks, and I'm sitting there thinking, I don't remember one word that she said. Am I just, do I just really, truly not listen to a word she says? But I'm, you know, the, the words didn't come out of my mouth, but I'm thinking I'm searching the memory banks for when did she tell me this or is she lying, but I don't think she's lying. And, but she, anyway, she, tonight's the night we're going to go out and do this. And, and again, I was wore out, and I said, baby, I'm so tired. Can y'all feel the dumbness that was fixing to come out of my mouth? I said, baby, I'm, I'm so tired. We're just going to have to punt this time, and we'll just do it some other time. Hold, tuck that away and put it on the chair next to you and hold that for about 15 or so minutes. I want us to get into the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke's the third book. In the New Testament, the third gospel, Luke was a doctor. Luke's one of the most eloquent writers in the New Testament. Luke had it going on. And so Luke is, it's, it, the book of Luke is his account of Christ's life. And so we're going to be in chapter 8. We're going to look at two stories back to back that are found in the book of Luke. And then we're going to look at something in the book of Acts as well. But in 840, here's what Luke wrote. Now, <clears throat> when Jesus returned... A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, tuck that away that he's a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come 
to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So Jairus meets Jesus and his disciples at the docks. His description as a synagogue leader, it's a big deal. In that culture, in that culture, you would sort of think of, of an influential, highfalutin, muckety-muck kind of city council person. person. That, that was him. And so this could be a really big ministry opportunity for this small uh, band of this startup movement that Jesus was leading. If a synagogue leader, if a muckety-muck, if a, if a city council person were to maybe come to know the Lord, that may have an impact, a big impact on that city, uh, a big, big, big influence on that city. And it's so funny how we all jump all over the story when somebody famous becomes a believer. We're like posting it all over Facebook. Look, Alice Cooper got saved. So Y'all are so young, you don't even know who Alice Cooper is. Um, so often, the church just loves to take advantage of a celebrity's influence to spread the gospel. But I don't think, painting with a broad brush, I don't think that normally that's how God chooses to work. He can choose to work however he wants to. I just think normally that's not so much how he chooses to work. I believe, though, that God loves doing extraordinary things through very ordinary people. He loves doing extraordinary things through very ordinary people. That's in your worship guides, by the way. Um, if anybody's ever read a book, Twelve Ordinary Men, John MacArthur wrote, I think John MacArthur, Twelve Ordinary Men, it's about Jesus' twelve guys. They were just twelve ordinary men. Jesus called them and changed them to do extraordinary things. In the Scriptures, Moses, David, Nehemiah, Mary, Peter, all 12 of Jesus, just nor- normal, ordinary folks that God changes and they do crazy stuff. Billy Graham was just an old farm boy from the mountains of North Carolina. Nothing necessarily special to look at, nothing, not, n- nothing really special about him, but God, he, 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 God invited him along and God changed him, and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are now in heaven and going to be in heaven because of what God did with Billy Graham. So, I don't know what Jesus is thinking, but I bet the disciples are not blind to this opportunity to go with this big shot and deal with this guy's daughter. And he's saying, they're, they're Jesus' guys are saying, we got to go. So check it out. Let's jump back into Luke 8 and see what happens next, starting in verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. They're on their way, remember, to Jairus' house. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Somebody touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And so, y'all, it's almost comical how this scene started. Massive crowds are surrounding 
Jesus and pressing in to get closer to him. And he stops mid-stride to say, who touched me? And I can see all these people are around. It'd be like all of y'all and, and, and somebody and people walking through and, and Jesus says, who touched me? And I can see Peter rolling his eyes and thinking, oh my gosh, Jesus, you do this stuff to me all the time. Who touched you? There's 5,000 people here. Who do you think touched you? Everybody is touching you. It'd be like crowd surfing at a rock concert and saying, who touched me? It makes absolutely no sense. And, and it's interesting that Jesus stops mid-stride on the way to a huge ministry opportunity. He stops mid-stride in this crowd of folks to talk to someone that everybody else ignored. To talk to somebody that everybody else just walks on by. We talked about the Samaritan woman a week or two ago. It's the exact same thing. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You are worthy of a conversation. Everybody else is walking right by you, but you are worthy of a conversation. And there's lots of stuff that we could conclude about this woman. She's poor. She's probably all alone. There's nobody else at least with her in this scene. She has more than likely been big time shamed by the city because the religious leaders, Judaism at that time, taught that the diseases were a punishment from God and so you're supposed to stay away from these people. And still with that baggage, she takes a massive risk. Based on the Old Testament law, the people would have believed that this woman's disease would permanently make her unclean and anything that she touched would become unclean as well. She was filthy. She was dirty. She was unclean. She was contagious. Nobody wanted to touch her. The, the people knew about this woman. She had a reputation. And she pushed, as she pushed her way through this crowd of folks, what do you think that she most likely would have had to endure? What are you doing here? You need to go home where you belong. You are dirty. You are filthy. I don't want to touch you. They back off. Get away from me because if you touch me, you're going to make me unclean and I'm going to have to do all kind of stuff to get back clean again. She was shoved to the side. She was given dirty looks. But in all of that, she relentlessly pursued Christ. And it paid off. And in that very moment, in that very moment, her life changed. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. He changes the way that you look at people. He changes the way that you look at the person sitting next to you in church. He changes the way you look at the person that you work with, the person that you're walking down the mall and they walk by. He changes the way you look at them. You're going you're gonna to look at your parents differently, at your kids differently. You're driving downtown Columbus. You're going to look at the person on the side of the road. Different. He changes everything. You take off one set of lenses, you put another set of lenses on, and you look at the world differently. You have no clue, and I have no clue, how and when God wants to use you. The greatest impact probably... Will, will come at a time when you're least expecting it. For this woman, she'd been suffering with this disease for 12 years. She'd prayed to God to rem, uh, for God to remove this thing. I'm sure 
multiple times a day, every day for more than a decade. And if you walked, and I know somebody did, I know. Somebody walked in here in this room right now as we speak today carrying around a prayer request, carrying around a, a, a need that seems like it has taken forever. Take a lesson. Go to school on this woman. Don't give up. Run fast as you can to Jesus. Don't throw the towel in. Don't throw the towel in. Cry out to Jesus. Push through, strain ahead, and persevere. There is always hope because He can do in a second what takes us a lifetime to do. He can just snap His fingers and do it. We've seen it over and over. And so jump back into Luke chapter 8. Let's start back in verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, I think about it, he's on the way to Jairus' house because they say that the little girl is bad. He gets stopped by this woman who's bleeding. And so we jump back in, and it says, while Jesus was still speaking. Who's Jesus speaking with? He's speaking with that woman. Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and Luke likes to remind us that this dude is a synagogue leader, a big shot. Someone came from the house of Jairus and says, looks at Jairus and says, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. So hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him. This is significant. He did not let anyone with him, go in with him other than Peter, John, James, and the mom and daddy of the, of the, of the uh, little girl. Meanwhile, all the people, and there was a lot of people there, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. Y'all reckon these people knew that she was dead? They knew that she was dead. And Jesus said, she's not dead. She's asleep. What did they do? What's the text say? They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Who are they laughing at? They're laughing at Jesus. Probably not a good idea. She's not dead but asleep. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So they get to Jairus' place and the daughter's already dead. And I can picture some of the disciples, some of it, particularly Peter, saying, if we didn't have to stop along the way to deal with this bleeding woman, this dirty, filthy, stinking, nasty woman, if we didn't have to stop and mess with her, we'd have got here in time for the big shot's daughter to get saved. Can't you see Peter saying that? We had to spend all this time with one of these dirty folks. But then Jesus grabs a couple of the guys... Peter, John, and, and James, and the girl's parents, and he goes up to see the dead girl. And I'm telling you, Peter had an attitude as they're walking up there. I, I know it. And he says to them, she's just sleeping. And what do they do? They laugh at him. Jesus ignores that apparent lack of faith. He grabs the girl's hand, and he raises her from the dead. Think about that girl's life. You reckon she had a story to tell? She was dead. The text says she was dead and then she was alive because Jesus grabs her hand. You think she had a testimony that is powerful? And I'm going to tell you this. It is reasonable to assume, the text doesn't say it, 
So I'm not, I, I'm not trying to inject something in the Bible. I think it's a reasonable assumption to say that if mama and daddy are lost and mama and daddy see their dead daughter come back to life because this guy touched him, I'm saying they got saved that day. The text doesn't say that, but I think it's a reasonable assumption to say that the city councilman, the religious leader, the synagogue leader, I'm saying he got saved that day. How old was the girl? She was 12. How long did the woman suffer from bleeding? She suffered for 12 years. How cool is it to think that God had been waiting for this amazing day? He ordained that day 12 years ago. He ordained 12 billion years ago. I don't know. But he'd been waiting for that day. How many of your prayer requests and my prayer requests does God, he's already ordained the day that that, that that prayer gets answered and he's waiting to see the look on your face when he does the thing that he does. And I've read these two stories a few times, many times really in the book of Luke. But I think at least for the purposes that we're talking about today, I missed, I kind of missed the most important part of it. And while Jesus healing this, this, uh, this woman that had been bleeding and Jesus raising this girl from the dead those were ginormously big deals. But I don't think they're the most impactful for where we're going right now. And here's where it, it begins. When Jesus arrived at the house of Jairus, he didn't let anybody go in except he invited Peter and John and James and the parents. He invited them to come with him. Many people, I don't know how many, many people were there, but he, he, he brought them along, those four or five people. And then I think, why Peter? Peter had, a minute and a half ago, had just questioned Jesus, had just laughed at Jesus. Shouldn't Peter by this point have learned not to question Jesus anymore? And he does it, and then Jesus invites him in. But here's the point. Jesus brings him along. He, he, he invites him to come along with him. Maybe is for something bigger. Maybe he invites him in because something's going to happen that, that, that Jesus is going to use to change the future, to change somebody's forever, and it's something bigger than Peter's life. That's kind of been the point, the whole point of this, this series that we're in. Bring someone with you. Bring them with you. Just in general, bring somebody with you with you. That's in your worship guide as well. As you go live the mission that you were made for, as you fulfill the way that God has wired you up, bring somebody with you. Don't do it alone. Bring somebody along for the ride. This, I think, very well may be the single greatest leadership lesson that we can learn from the life of Christ. And I would contend that he is the greatest leader that has ever lived. And you know what? He never wrote a book. He never held a public office. He never went outside this little bitty sliver of land in the Middle East. He was only in the public eye for three and a half years and left the planet at the age of 33. And here we are 2,000 years later, and there's more than 2 billion people that are following him from every corner of the earth. The movement that he started is growing faster now worldwide than it ever had has before. That's some pretty good leadership. It's a pretty good leadership lesson. 
this lesson of inviting someone with you, of, of, of asking them to come along, of grabbing their arm and pulling them to come with you, part two of the story that I started 16 minutes ago. Um, I had told Susan no. I had, I had, she was so excited, and what does some dumb man do? I just crushed her excitement. Um, but about, about 10 minutes later, I realized how badly I had hurt her feelings when I said no, that we would have to punt. That was a stupid thing to say, too. We've we got to punt and do it some other time. So I allowed her to bring me along with her. I said, okay. She invited me along. She grabbed my arm and said, come do this with me. And I said, okay. And here we are three years later. What did God do with that in three years? 25 or 30,000 hot meals have been served to people that were hungry in that three years. Hundreds of sleeping bags. Just hundreds of pounds of hygiene products and just life's necessities, physical things that folks need. Tons of people have had the Lord shared with them. Over 200, 200, 250 volunteers have spiritually grown. Dozens and dozens of people who didn't know the Lord, now they, they know the Lord. 20 or 30 kids in the last 9 or 10 weeks are not in foster care that would have been in foster care. What you reckon their life would have looked like had that happened, had that, excuse me, not happened? All of that is because Susan asked me to go along. Just ask somebody to come with you. Just invite them to come along with you. You know how many times it says in the text of the Scriptures that Jesus took his disciples and they went somewhere? That's a rhetorical question because I, I don't know either. I tried to start counting this week and I lost track because almost every time he goes somewhere, he grabs somebody and they go along together. Now, obviously, there's times in the, in the Gospels where Jesus had to get alone. But he very strategically, overwhelmingly, intentionally grabs people to come along on that ride with him. Listen to the words, his last words in Matthew chapter 28. This is verse 19 and 20. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he makes this awesome promise. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's called the Great Commission. It's not called the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. It's a command. The, the verbs that are used, it's a command. Now, in the Greek, here's what it says, New Testament written in Greek. So in the original language, that first part of verse 19 is, as you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. A couple of different applications there. One of them is as you walk through life and you meet people, disciple them. Share Jesus with them and disciple them. But another application that we see in watching Jesus' life is grab the people that you know, your family and your friends. Grab them and invite them along and disciple them as you walk through your day-to-day -day responsibilities. And then Jesus ends with this promise that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. 
And, and here's the deal. If, if he is truly in the driver's seat in your life, then it is not so much you bringing him with you as it is him bringing you with him. That's what he did 2,000 years ago. He poured into these guys and the world changed. He poured into them and the world changed. And he invites us to grab our friends and pour into them and they will change. To, to disciple and walk along with them. I want to give you some practical examples kind of of how this may look, how it plays out. Lots of different examples for all kind of different people, different walks of life. Parents, bring your kids with you. We have multiple volunteers in M2540 that bring their children or their nieces or their nephews along in the streets to love on the folks in the streets. Nikki, Jessica, Ellie Phelps, and there's, there's others that bring their families, their kids along, and they're demonstrating to those kids in, in crazy, powerful, tangible, practical ways how to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Other stuff that you do, parents, bring your kids' friends along with you. You don't know that your family may be the closest thing to Jesus that your kids' friends will ever see. You don't know. You don't know. You and I have no idea what God is going to do when we bring somebody along. But here's what I believe down deep inside my gut is that Jesus changes everything. He redeems brokenness. He, he redeems wrecked lives. He redeems wrecked marriages. And you and I can play, easily play a role in affecting that change just by asking somebody to come along on that ride. Why? Because he changes everything. We've got a picture up on the screen. That's Jessica. She's watching this lady's feet. How do you think that looks to her kids? What message do you think that she sends to her children by them seeing her wash his lady's feet. That's the Samaritan woman. That's the bleeding woman we just talked about. That's who God's forgotten. That's what people are going to tell you. That's the message that needs to be sent. It's the message that needs to be sent. And you've got to grab somebody and take them on that ride with you. When you're serving in ministry, you invite somebody to come with you. When, you're <clears throat> when you are, are, are serving in the cafe, ask somebody to serve with you. Serving at the connections desk, bring somebody with you. Ask somebody, you want to try being a greeter or you want to volunteer in the My Kids area or the My Tots area. We need people volunteering, locking arms together and serving in tons of different areas in our ministry. You know, you think about this. Ask somebody, would you like to go on a delivery with our Generations Ministry, the, the, uh, the family preservation? But yesterday, either yesterday or Saturday, a family got kept together because we delivered bunk beds to them. Are you kidding? This family, seven children in this family 
would have been yanked out of, out of that house, put in foster care. All we did was provide a few beds that were donated. You know what that cost this church? Zero. Not ten cents. Lives changed because Jesus changes everything. How do you reckon those seven children's great-grandchildren are going to be now? What do you think the effect, because of something happened this weekend, lives are changed 150 years from now? With friends and family, bring them on the walk with you. Invite them to sign up their daughter for our, our Columbus Stars competitive cheer program, a cheerleading program. Do you, do you think Jesus is all over that? He's all over it. Christ gets shared. It's a ministry. Y'all, this is, this is low-hanging fruit. This is easy stuff. Just ask your friends to come along. And here's what I know, and this is a sad number. Several studies have said that the average churchgoer in North America asks approximately zero people to church on a yearly basis. The number is so low that it has to be rounded down to nobody. We've got to ask ourselves, why don't I ask somebody to join in with me? You don't know what God is going to do with it. And he may tuck it away, this experience, he may tuck it away for days or weeks or months or years later and then use it to leverage somebody else's Forever, that is what he is in the business of doing. So what happens with Peter? Here's what Luke wrote the book of Luke. That's a shocker. Luke wrote the book of Luke. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. This is in Acts chapter 9. And I think Peter was profoundly impacted by watching Jesus heal Jairus' daughter. It was no accident that out of those people, Jesus grabs Peter to take him in to see that. So years later, Acts chapter 9, I want to read this to you. In Joppa, there's a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. And Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and he prayed, and he turned towards the dead woman and he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and he presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter heals Tabitha, this woman, in virtually the exact same way that Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. And what happened? Many people came to believe in Jesus all throughout Joppa simply because Jesus invited Peter to go along with him into that opportunity. Don't y'all see that God is a connecting the dots kind of God? He's, he's beyond time, and he can see everything all at once. It's so hard for us to understand that, it, at least for me. It's like crazy hard for me to understand that 
that he can see the past, the future. Every, he just sees it all at once because he's not bound by time. And so he connects all these little dots. And we have no idea what he wants to do through us and in us and when he wants to do those things. And so God's calling, again, on our life is way bigger than our lifetime. There's only one thing that will last, and the stuff that we're stressing about, it ain't going to last. It probably will be no big deal in a couple of years, and your own great-grandkids that wouldn't even exist if it weren't for you, they're not even going to know your name. But if you bring somebody along with you, that very well can change the entire course of history. So what is it that God is calling you to? Who is it that you can bring with you? Who in your life that doesn't know God, but as you seek to pursue after Him yourself, who are you going to invite to come along with you? And they may laugh. They laughed at Jesus. Don't feel so special if they laugh at you. They laughed at God. So you will be in good company if that happens. When does Jesus stop pursuing you? When does He stop asking you? When does He start talk, stop talking to you? Never. Keep asking your friends. Keep asking your friends. Don't beat them over the head with a Bible. I'm not saying that. Invite and invite and invite. And so I want to introduce you as we're closing this out to a phrase that I think is the perfect response to what we have been talking about these past few weeks. It's the answer to this question, will you put your yes on the table? You've got these cards. You've got a couple of cards in front of you know, in your seat, but you have this one that says yes on the back of it. When it comes to God, will your answer be yes? Before you even know what the question is, will you answer the question yes before you know what the question is? And it's like, God, I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know who, I don't know any of that stuff, but my yes is on the table. And so as... Jed is up. He's going to lead us in one last worship song. I want you to take that card, and if it's the desire of your heart, and I hope it is the desire of your heart, would you fill it out, put your name on it, put who's coming with you, who you're going to lock arms with, and I want you to put it on one of There's a table right there. I want your yes to be on the table. There's a table there. There's a table back there. There's a table out in the, in, the, uh, in the hallway. So don't be telling me you couldn't find a table because you can't find a table. There's three of them out here. Um, let God know that you are just all in. You're just all in on his team. And for, for those of you that, that have not made a decision to accept Christ and the truth claims that Christ makes, I hope with every fiber in my being, I hope, that today is a day that you will change your great-grandchildren's lives. That's the perspective. If you have not ever said yes to him, that's the perspective I want you to take. I can change and thousands of people can change because of my decision today. And it ain't complicated. If you commit, if you, it's not complicated. If you commit to turning Away from your sin, I use the word usually repent. And what does repent mean? Repent means turn and go the other way. I'm, I want to I want to commit to to this is I'm on the way to sin, and I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna go the other way. I'm gonna commit to that. Number one, 
and just believe on the name of Jesus Christ and the work that He did for you. Those two things, you're in. You are on the team. A thousand descendants of yours just changed. So if that happened, I want you all, if you would, bow your heads and maybe close your eyes. And if this is you today, if you said that today, and you can, you can pray this along with me out loud. You can scream it to the heavens. Say it to yourself. Get on your knees. Stand up. Sit down. Come down here. Whatever it is you want to do. But I just want you to say these two things with me. Number one is, Lord, I'm done with my sin, and I'm sorry. I put it behind me. I repent of it. I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. And number two, I believe, Lord, that you really did go get yourself dead. It didn't sneak up on you. You went and got yourself dead. And then three days later, you went and got yourself alive to prove that every bit of that is real. And I just want you to say, Lord, today is the day that I want you to be my Lord and be my Savior. And today is the day that I want you to be my leader and my forgiver. Amen. And so I'm going to tell you all, if you did just say that, if that happened to you, the heavens are just going bananas. And we want to lock our arms with you. We want to walk that walk with you. I want you to write that on that, that connection card in that seat back in front of you. And not so I can accost you or we can accost you or tackle you out in the hallway because we love you. That's the reason why. We want to pray with you. We want to walk the journey with you. Our staff wants to pray with you. Our elders want to pray your name. We want to pray for you by name. That's why we ask you to fill that connection card out. And if that happened to you today, we're having another God plunge, a baptism in September. I want to hold you under the water. I ain't going to hold you that long. I ain't going to hold you that long. I just want to get you wet. Under, but I want to get you wet. God, what does that passage say in Matthew 28? We read it today. Go and make disciples and do what? Baptize. The baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. The blood on that cross saves you. But that baptism is your saying, I'm in, brother. I am in. And we want to do that for you. We're going to do that again in September. And you can put that on your connection card as well. And again, I'm kind of psyched up right now, but I promise I'm not going to tackle nobody out there. Um, Let me pray for us. And then I want to call uh, Richard up. Lord, we love you today. We love you because you saved us. We love you because you take broken things, uh, Lord, and you just make them right. Lord, you, you take things that, <clears throat> that, that the world call, calls dirty and you make them clean. Lord, that is just so unbelievable. Lord, and we thank you for that and we love you in your son's precious name, Jesus. Amen.